You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me David Donaldson, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Hey, David. Hi, Susan. Glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Um, (laughs) This is, uh, I hope, an interesting topic to our listeners. I know it certainly was interesting and fun doing some research for the show today. We're going to focus on a couple of things, but starting with some headlines from the World Health Organization. And um, as many of you know, the World Health Organization works to, um, in a couple of ways, not only to track diseases and to look at trends uh, around the world, but it also is responsible for publishing something called the ICD, the International uh, Classification of Diseases. Now, here in the United States, we're working on the ICD-10. Uh, that's the 10th edition. But the ICD-11 um, came out in 2018. And it's this particular edition, which has not yet been fully adopted in the United States uh, for many reasons. First of all, it's a huge undertaking to change the diagnostic codes that we use as healthcare providers that um, have to be input into computers, into billing systems, into electronic medical records, into old school medical records that indicate what a diagnosis is and what um, types of um, qualifiers or complications may be associated with that diagnostic code. And also that then justifies whether a doctor says you need to go to the hospital, you need to take this particular medicine, you need to have an MRI, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the ICD, this International Classification of Diseases code book is really very important and a lot of our insurance um, billing and um, the diagnostic codes that are used with hospitals and clinics around the country and certainly around the world use the codes. When in the United States we update that, that means everybody. (laughs) And we at the Atlanta Healing Center have gone through a number of these where there have been major changes moving from ICD-9 to ICD-10. That actually happened for us around um, 2017 and 18. But the buildup for it starts much older. You start getting notice of the things that are going to be changing. You start getting notice of the codes that are changing. You get a cutoff date of when's the last time you can use the dates from the previous uh, manual. Um, So this is... This is the beginning step in terms of getting any sort of reimbursement. That code leads to reimbursement for every sort of procedure that the doctor or therapist or physical therapist or occupational therapist, any of them are doing are based on these codes. On these particular codes and these descriptions of illnesses, injuries, um, different kinds of medical uh, complications, those kinds of things are regulated by these codes. And when, uh, like you say, we get these notices, okay, we're going to do it on October 1st, and then we get the notice 
on mid-September. Uh, no, we're going to wait till January. Uh, and it's very confusing because some insurance companies have already converted. When we went from ICD-9 to ICD-10, for example, some insurance companies had already converted. They wanted us to use the ICD-10 codes um, where others had not, and they wanted the ICD-9 codes. And if you submitted the wrong code to the wrong place, they kicked that claim out. Which yada, they love yada, to do anyway. Which they so love to do that anyway. That gave them an opportunity to do that. <laughs> to do that. But when the World Health Organization um, takes a step like it did uh, last, um, excuse me, last week, and making a final vote on adding a new diagnostic category, that starts the discussion, that starts the controversy, and the World Health Organization indeed took this step to say we're going to add a new diagnosis that has not been as an official diagnosis here in the United States, certainly not in the dsm Five, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Uh, it's not really uh, edition number five because there are all of these um, uh, side steps. There's the DSM three and the DSM three R, and it's kind of like the cell phone <laughs> industry where they right. just keep adding an initial or a letter or a right and keep with the same model for a few years, and then they jump it to the next. Correct. But here, uh, currently, we use the DSM-5 to diagnose um, psychiatric illnesses, but also all addiction um, disorders. So they have codes that correspond with the ICD-10, and currently in our um, state of affairs, we don't have this diagnosis. So we do have one that's kind of close. Correct. Because in the last edition, they did put in one that had been controversial before that, which was pathological gambling. Right. Um, and using much of the same criteria that we're going to be talking about, they they recognize that for a small percentage of people who mm-hmm. gamble, it begins to be something that takes over their life and becomes all-consuming. And right. And they stop doing it. They experience classic withdrawal symptoms like you would with other dependency issues. So that step is sort of already open right. in terms of behavioral addictions versus chemical addictions. Right. So that was the first one that was added as an actual behavioral addiction was gambling. So uh, the studies were robust enough looking at imaging studies, looking at genetic studies, looking at uh, population studies of people who gambled um, to make this determination that, yes, this is an addiction, and this was our first behavioral addiction. They also, in DSM-5, added Internet gaming as as a Category to study? Correct. That's how they phrased it? Right. Um, But not as an official diagnosis. There was no codes associated with it. But now the, um, on May 25th, um, of 2019, the uh, World Health Organization officially voted to adopt the latest edition of the ICD 11 to include gaming disorder as a behavioral addiction. So they've gone ahead and said, in addition to gambling, we now have gaming addiction. We've talked about this before, but this is the first time that 
um, the WHO has gone ahead and said, yep, there's enough and when data. we've talked about it before, we've we've always talked about it as, is this an addiction? It sure looks like an addiction. It right. certainly creates the consequences that, that addicts have, um, but it, it hasn't been official. And, and part of why that's so important for families of people with this is this now opens up the door to be able to actually provide treatment for that as as um, an illness in and of itself and not as just a symptom of some other illness that the person might be experiencing. Right. And it's also brought the opportunity for us to really have much more in-depth conversations about how this might be affecting children and even young children. So this has caused some uh, concern among uh, parents of young children. Normally we talk about the disease of addiction and usually most people are in their mid-teens, uh, early 20s before it progresses to a point that you're able to say, okay, this person really does have a problem with marijuana or alcohol or whatever and they need formal intervention. But this particular issue begins to raise a question even for younger and younger children and for the parents of these children as to just how much do we allow um, children, young adolescents, adolescents and young adults, how much time is okay and how much is not for um, engaging in video games. So this is uh, this has raised a lot of um, interesting conversations a- around the world, and certainly here in the United States and in Canada. Uh, probably one of the um, areas of the world that has done the most research on this is the United Kingdom, and they have been studying this in depth for quite some time. And so a lot of the data that was helpful for the World Health Organization actually came out of Canadian. Uh, excuse me. Um, uh, Great Britain and um, the yeah, United Kingdom. It was interesting reading about this and how much the United Kingdom and China actually compared studies and, and results mm-hmm. together and, and a lot of the things they were finding. Um, one thing I thought was pretty interesting was um, that there wasn't a difference in terms of... There, let me get this right. Okay, so males and females right. both had it. Right. And both um, got to a level of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I have to go back and look at the notes, but I believe that males had a slightly higher number. Right. Um, and consequences were slightly greater. Right. Um, but the, the reality that they were putting out there was that many, many people do online games. Um but the percentage of all that ages. actually of all ages, <laughs> right? But the percentage that actually meet the criteria is is pretty low, as it is with most addictions. Um, and once again, the males just end up at the top of that cake. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to do it just a little bit more. Um, but it is interesting the age distribution, and this is one of the things that we've been seeing over the years with other substances that we know of as addictive. Um, and I've said this many times, back in the olden days when I was first in training and learning about alcoholism, for example, one of the criteria was to be male. 
And that was, you know, we just didn't really think that there were that many women who had this problem. But now as we look at uh, people under the age of 30, it's almost equal. And in some situations, women have more issues with alcohol than men. So we, um, we may have been a bit skewed in our interpretation of the male-female distribution. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this new category, gaming addiction, added to the World Health Organization. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is America's Web Radio. With me in studio today is David Donaldson, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. And we're talking about a new and very controversial topic, which is gaming addiction, um, now officially canonized by the World Health Organization and will be listed in the ICD-11 uh classification of diseases as an official disease and it will be something that will be able to be potentially uh, billed for and reimbursed for. And this is uh, creating some stress for a lot of people because, first of all, they don't want to see this as a problem. But secondly, we also know that... um, uh, that many families are going to be more and more conscious of how much time their children are able to um, 
spend time online and who are able to do um, play the video games and whether or not this is normal, acceptable, reasonable behavior versus now we have a problem. And with this um, diagnostic category is going to come a lot of questions about uh, just what does this mean? How are we going to treat it? How are we going to identify it? So interesting things and it's uh, um I think a really good time to be discussing this before it becomes official. It is not official here in the United States yet. We still use the International uh, Classification of Diseases Edition 10, that's the ICD-10 uh, code book, but um, the ICD-11 will probably not be too far behind since it's already been released in 2018, and we're halfway through 19, so probably another five years. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so right before the break, we were talking about the interesting thing that we see with addiction, which is the younger age groups, there's not that much difference between men and women in terms of the expression of a disease. So I would dare bet if we looked at all the people who play video games around the world, there are probably a lot more men that are playing video games. It'll be interesting to see when we start to look and separate the age groups out a little bit if we aren't seeing more and more girls uh, who are actually engaged in video games. I understand that there's some differences between the video games that girls choose to play versus boys, particularly when they're younger. But I think as they get into their mid-teens, um, early 20s, a lot of them are playing the same kind of action uh, video games. Mm -hmm. But early on, girls may be playing more um, gender-different games. But so initially in the studies that, that were done with China and Britain, that they found that there wasn't a significant difference between the number of boys that were playing and the girls that were playing. They did find that the British people that that qualified for gaming addiction had a higher um, incidence of depression and anxiety issues than the Chinese did. Um, but that was one of the only areas that really stood out as different between the two markets. Um, Part of what they've done is is they've created an online test to help continue to gather data about all of about the uh, usage of gaming addiction throughout the world. So anybody can log on and play it, um, and they've listed the the criteria for it. And some of it is just kind of basic addiction addiction criteria, criteria right. preoccupation with games, withdrawal symptoms when gaming is stopped, and I would imagine that that would be sleep disturbances and irritability and mood issues. Mm -hmm. Tolerance resulting in a need to spend increasing amounts of time engaging in games. Unsuccessful attempts to control the participation in games. A loss of interest in previous hobbies or entertainment as a result of and with the exception of games. Continued excessive use of games despite knowledge of psychosocial problems. And I think that's where it really begins to um, to zero itself out in the sense that these people are becoming so disconnected with real life. Right. And when you talk to them, a lot of times they will feel like they'll, they'll be talking about many, many friends that they have and they'll tell you all about these people. 
but they've not actually ever seen ever. them in real life. They may have seen an image, but they couldn't really swear that this is a real person versus um, a catfish, for lack of a better term. Um, and they're losing their abilities to be able to just go up and start a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. that they're meeting in real life. Um Continued excessive use of games despite knowledge of psychosocial problems we just mentioned. Deceiving family members, therapists, or others regarding the amount of gaming they're doing. Using games to escape and relieve negative emotions. And jeopardizing or loss of significant relationships, job, or education, or career opportunities because of their participation in games. Um, um, The point about deceiving family members... It's interesting because it's, it's been a topic of discussion recently with, with a few of our clients where they're trying to structure their, their young sons right. <laughs> about their game time. And, of course, they say the same things that we've always said. Just one more. Wait till I finish one this game. One more minute. <laughs> but the games never end. Right. So they're the the from the child's perspective, they're not lying <laughs> because they're saying, "I'm going to quit when the game's over." But the games never not, end; not it just over. goes on another level and another <laughs> level and another level. So th- there's a real frustration growing amongst um, family members and and how to structure and how to manage, the, in particular, the younger age groups. And there are certainly families that report that they quote, catch their young person after having gone to bed, lights out, everybody's quiet in the house, and that young person is either logging on in their bedroom or going downstairs or to another part of the house and logging in and playing. And I've had a number of patients talk about being up till four, five, six o'clock in the morning, barely getting back into bed before mom or dad come in to wake them up to go to school. And that this then creates all kinds of issues in their school day because they've been up all night, they're sleep deprived, they often um, are preoccupied in their brain not about the test that they're about to take, but about the game that they either did really well on or that they didn't do so well on. And this. Or how far is the game advancing while I'm not there? Correct. Um, and people figuring out who to play with around the world that's going to be up during the time that they are allowed to play. It's really fascinating when you start talking to young people about this and to them this feels very normal and natural and they don't really understand why their parents their teachers other people are concerned they really don't see where the problem is which is again another one of those characteristics that we often see with addiction which is this denial that it's a problem it's not my problem it's my mother's problem it's my teacher's problem and it's everyone else's problem that's trying to control me doing what brings me joy exactly so this is um this is really interesting that we see kids Spending less and less time. One of the questions that I always ask people when I'm doing a, a kind of a structured interview for somebody, a, psych, a psychiatric evaluation, um, I'll ask them about um, how's your interest in things, things that normally bring you pleasure, make you happy. Are those things worth doing? 
And someone who is really pretty depressed will often say, hmm, uh, you know, I'm not, I haven't really done things or I can't think of anything that would be fun right now. And we call this um, anhedonia, loss of pleasure in things. Then I'll ask them, well, what do you normally like to do? And with um, 30 uh, years old and older, most of them say, well, I like hunting or I like um, hiking. I like going to movies, hanging out with friends, going to concerts, sewing, reading. You'll get a variety of hobbies and activities. When I ask this, though, of the under 30s, video games, watching movies... Uh, being online and social media, those are the things that they list as the things that they do to bring them pleasure. It's not watching sporting events. It's not being outside, playing golf or swimming or biking. None of those things are what interests these kids and that they are really focused in on these very isolating Although they don't feel isolated, to your point, David. Right. They don't feel isolated. Because they really do cite a number of friends. And, and they'll even talk about them in best friend terms. Right. Even having never met them, they'll still refer to them as my best friend. When you, um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity, um, as I have, to observe kids playing video games. They often have... Um, and adults, they often have the headsets and the microphones, and they are having conversations often, uh, unless they're playing solo games. But if they're playing an online game, they are having conversations with people. But it's not <laughs> the usual, how was your day, and what do you think about this, and what are you doing in school? It's yelling at them, look out behind you, or why did you screw that up? Um, having these kinds of often loud, intense conversations, and you watch the, the people, they're very animated. Uh, the younger kids are often up jumping around mm -hmm. and moving around the uh, room. Adults are often, you know, telling off their headsets, doing some of these things to show they're very emotionally involved. Hence, they feel like these people are real friends. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this fascinating new addiction, game addiction. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is America's Web Radio, and you're listening to Detailing Addiction. David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center is with me today, and we're talking about the World Health Organization's latest diagnostic criteria, which is um, for gaming addiction. And David went through the criteria, but I'd like us to focus in on a couple of things again. And just for those of you who are uh, keeping track, uh, we can go through them. But also, interestingly, if you want to go to the PlayStation website, you can take this addiction test. Um, there are other places, other forms, but I just found it interesting that PlayStation is cooperating with some of these uh, research entities to actually see what's going on and how are we um, how are we doing with this diagnosis. The criteria, preoccupation with games, not just the playing of games, but the talking about games, the reading about games, the investigating games, time, money, and effort spent on games. This is uh, much more encompassing than just the time that the individual is spending literally playing the game. So think about yourself, think about people you know, see if anyone might meet this criteria. Number two, withdrawal symptoms when gaming is taken away. Always interesting, you can probably go to any restaurant in the early evening when families might be there for um, for the dinner hour and watch what happens when the parents try to engage the kids who have been playing video games on their tablets or their phones. There is um, very rarely do I ever see the child voluntarily put it down, and very pleasantly engage in the conversation. 
Um, usually, <laughs> that it's is a bit n- more dramatic. <laughs> it is very dramatic, and very intensely held feelings that these kids have. One of the ways that parents sometimes will have consequences for bad behavior or not doing well in school, that sort of thing, is to limit and or take away the screen time, translated for most young kids, video game time. These kids will become very irritable, hostile, anxious, agitated. can be really interesting to see how intensely this withdrawal symptoms might be. And I don't know that we can call these withdrawal, but certainly uh, in these cases, these kids are really upset. Oh, yeah. And what's so interesting for me, when when I have sat and talked with, with people who really get into online gaming, um, it is their life and their community. So when you take away their screen... You're doing a lot more to them than just saying, no, you can't go on that screen. It's not like you can watch, can't watch Gilligan's Island for the next week. You're saying, no, you can't go talk to your friends and you can't see what's up in their lives and you're cutting off their perceived connection to the world. But, and I think that's part of what most people that aren't in that world really mm-hmm. aren't getting. Right. And, and they're just viewing it as he's addicted to the screen, but he's really addicted to everything that the game manufacturers have, have put into this to keep every aspect of a person engaged and and spending their life on that screen um so the i mean the the addiction isn't just happening by accident correct this has been well programmed you uh, you bring up a very important point not just uh great electrical engineers and design engineers and animators and cartoonists and um these kinds of folks they aren't the only people that are involved in the creation of these games. There is a lot of psychologists, a lot of marketing research, a lot of things are entered into these games to not just make them visually attractive, but to also make them addictive. That you're willing to spend just a few more minutes, or pay just a little bit more money, or engage in buying some new equipment or the next version of the game. It is very methodically thought out and prepared and presented. It's um, it's not by accident, as you say. This is not an addiction that happens by accident. And so for, for the criteria, part of the idea of addiction is that this becomes all-consuming, um, so much more important than basic life-sustaining functions like sleeping and eating and drinking water. For somebody who's at that pivotal point in their brain that says, I need to keep going with this game versus I need to probably go take a shower and go to work, the game wins if they've crossed that line. Exactly. Then we get to number three, which is tolerance, meaning the needing to spend more and more time involved in that game. Or the other thing that I've seen is this game's boring. I need to go find a new game. I need to have a um, more advanced um, 
type of game. I need a more intense game. One of the things that's um, kind of an aside here, but again, part of the controversy is whether or not some of these games that portray a lot of violence... Uh, how much is this also playing a role in the increased anxiety, depression that we see among kids who are gamers or who spend a lot of time playing games? Because there is a very uh, negative side, at least to the games that most of the older children, adolescents, young adults play. This isn't, you know, let's make candy or let's decorate the princess's dress anymore. Um, let's. It's not just let's build um, a city mm-hmm. or create a, a, a new animal. No, now we're um, robbing cars and killing people and plotting revolutions and very dark, intense games. So that's another thing that we see in terms of tolerance is not just the increased time spent gaming, but also the increased intensity of the games that people want to be involved with. So a lot of times with chemical dependency, you'll see that as um, changing types of liquor in order to get a faster amount, um, changing the way that you use in order to get it into your brain much, much quicker. You'll see the tolerance happen that way. Um, um, And you'll see tolerance happening in the codependent relationships in terms of the more that they're willing to tolerate the intolerable behavior. With this, you see it built right into the game with the levels. Um, Within the game, you can go into someone else's game and kill that person right and that incre- increases the intensity of the, uh-huh. the, the the whole aspect of it and yeah. the competition and some of these competitions become real money oh yeah millions of dollars people will go and watch these competitions they will pay admission prices they games the games, uh, watching these very skilled players will be, um, will be broadcast, will be, um, live streamed, and it becomes a real event. There are even some colleges that are offering scholarships for individuals who are particularly skilled at some of these games. It's really a whole new world out there that many of us may just not be aware of. And the intensity and the attractiveness of these games is profound. Well, I think that that sort of speaks to the controversy because there are so many people who are making careers out of this. And they're seeing it as just lifestyle um, career choices. But there's also that aspect that you see in casino and and gambling addiction of the possibility of sudden wealth and fame and fortune. Both of those two things are kind of dangling on each other. The intermittent reinforcement, very addictive. If you won every single time you played a game, then that would get boring pretty quickly. But it's the fact that, no, you're not going to win every time. And that even if you win one level, okay, well, now there's the next level. And then there's the next level. And you see this increasing um, 
uh, excitement and this increasing addiction to that particular game or to this particular type of activity. It, it, it really does follow the classic pattern that we see of tolerance with other with other drugs. Um, the unsuccessful attempts to control uh, the participation or the playing of games, that's criteria number four. So little kids are not going to voluntarily <laughs> be um, saying, okay, mom, I'm, I've done my 10 minutes of, uh, of watching um, TV and playing my video game. Um, can I now do my chores? We're not going to see kids making attempts, but we certainly see what happens when parents make attempts to control. Mm-hmm. Um, that usually doesn't work very well. But um, some older um, adults that I have worked with that have been um, addicted, one of the things that they find is that they really do say, okay, I'm going to just, I've got 20 minutes before I have to be in bed or before I have to leave to go to work or before this next meeting. And they will make that attempt. They'll set this goal. I'm only going to play for a few more minutes. Then I'm going to be done. And they put these rules down. Well, I'm going to do the laundry and finish fixing supper, and then I'm going to play. Um then I'm going to get on the Candy Crush. Then I'm going to do um, this video game. And you see some people that works just fine. And they work that out as part of their day. But for people who truly have this gaming addiction, those attempts to control do not work. Or they don't last very long. Yeah, in fact, those people who are able to put those controls in there <clears throat> and follow them right. would not end up in the category of the disease of gaming addiction because that in and of itself is the disease of addiction. But there's so many people who, even as adults, they'll they'll make those commitments. They'll. I, I worked with somebody who, in the midst of a relationship, had said to the person he really cares for, I won't log on to the computer at all this weekend, and we'll spend this weekend together, and we'll do such and such and such and such, only to not be able to com- live up to that commitment. And end up, for that person, ended up costing the relationship. They'll sneak off to the bathroom. Uh, suddenly, there's something that they've got to go do. Oh. I just couldn't sleep, so I thought I'd maybe log on for a minute. Right. Five and hours later. They're still out there playing. So it becomes this really um, very classic, I'm only going to drink beer and I'm only going to have three and I'm not going to start till six o'clock at night. These kinds of attempts to control, we see often very unsuccessful in the same way that we see with other addictions with this particular um, uh, behavior. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, new addiction, gaming addiction, and we're going to talk about some ways that we might be able to help people. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed 
to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Live closer to your food source. Learn how to grow it yourself. Please join me every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern on America's Homegrown Veggie Show for tips and advice from the country's best gardeners. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. This is Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. David Donaldson and I have been talking about the World Health Organization's new addition as of May 25th, 2019, to the International Classification of Diseases, Edition 11, which is gaming addiction or gaming um, disorder. And this is... Um, New, controversial. The criteria, I think, very much follow along the lines of other addiction criteria, and we've talked about some of those. Um, we've talked a little bit about the loss of interest. That's number five in previous hobbies. Um, excessive use in spite of knowing there are problems, in spite of knowing I'm going to flunk out of school, in spite of knowing I'm going to be in trouble if I get caught. To your point, David, in spite of knowing if I log on, my significant other is going to walk out the door. Um, If I keep doing this and my boss catches me one more time, I am out of here. There are real consequences that these folks are potentially risking to keep the to keep the gaming addiction going, and it is um, it is very real. Sometimes when I talk about folks uh, with folks, they really don't see what the problem is. They don't identify the seriousness of some of these consequences, or they don't really think it's going to happen. Much like the uh, driver who thinks he can get in the car and he's fine to drive home. Or much like um, the person that thinks, oh, my doctor will write me one more prescription for this. They, I just have to put up with them telling me this is bad for me and I shouldn't do this. But if I sit here and look pitiful long enough, they'll write me the prescription. This, the, They really have a hard time grasping that these consequences are real and potentially really life-changing. So that is a big um, problem. We talked about deceiving family members and therapists, uh, telling great stories about how much time you're spending. 
and uh, what you're doing. And I think this is really interesting uh, to take a little bit of an aside. When we're talking with um, a patient about uh, entering treatment and potentially needing detox, folks who drink tend to under-represent the amount of alcohol. Now, maybe inherent in that is the fact that alcohol can cause blackouts and can cause memory problems, but they often under-report how much they're drinking. Mm -hmm. With folks with opiates... Uh, they tend to over-report. Now, I don't know whether that's because maybe they're using heroin and they don't really know how much they're using, um, but uh, they're, they're very afraid of withdrawal symptoms, so they want to make sure they're going to get enough medicine. Yeah, they're really vested in making sure you know just how bad that is so you don't undertreat it. Right. So in this case, this is much more like we see with uh, people for whom alcohol is their dopamine releaser of choice. They tend to underrepresent how much time they're actually spending, um, how long it is, what they're really doing. They but, and I think that the part of it is that they truly don't know. Mm-hmm. There was another study I'd read recently that was just looking at people's perception of time while on the computer. Um, and, and I don't have it in front of me to tell you the exact results, but across the board, everybody in the study had their perception of time wrong when they were on just social media. So like on Facebook or mm-hmm. on, on um, Instagram. Instagram or those. Twitter. So mm-hmm. that's not even something where they're going up the engagement of the different levels and all of the other drama that goes with mm-hmm. gaming. So. I imagine many of these people really do not have a clear concept of the amount of time that disappears when they're using, when they're online gaming. The um, idea that they're using uh, games to mood alter or engaging in these activities because they're depressed, because they're anxious, because they're lonely, but boredom. Boredom. How many times a day do we hear people discussing the struggles they have and how often is it related to being bored? Absolutely. I mean, that, that was every regularly a, a topic in group in terms of cravings, in terms of relapse factors. Boredom is always right up there. Boredom, loneliness, and opportunity um, are a deadly trio. Very much so. And again, we see... Just like with substances, the addictive behaviors like gambling, like gaming, eating, shopping, sex, some of these other addictive behaviors involve um, not not getting high in the traditional way, but certainly changing their mood using the behaviors instead of the chemicals. And I think when people are, are doing certain behaviors in order to to fix anxiety, mm-hmm. they get to a point where they're doing it so quickly they don't really realize that they even have anxiety. They would often tell you, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm totally calm. Nothing bothers me. But once you take the game away and you close the computer or something and they're having to sit there and have a conversation, they start realizing the discomfort that that social connections can create. <laughs> exactly. So with any behavioral addiction, they're a little bit more difficult, um, at least initially, to treat. Now, 
we know that people may come in and tell us, I'm not drinking, my my boss is crazy, um, my spouse is, you know, giving me a hard time, I'm not really drinking that much. Um, but in their heart of hearts, they know. They may be telling you a story, they may be telling everybody around them the story, but they know that they're either using or not using. Mm-hmm. With behavioral addictions, it's a little bit harder. So one of the first things that people need to do is really to begin to keep track It's like someone who is um, considering a diet or a lifestyle change around food. Very interestingly, how often people misrepresent how much they eat, how much they believe they eat. But when they start to track and write down every single thing that goes into their mouth, they begin to realize, oh, I probably am taking in a few more calories than I had thought or reported. So one of the things is just to ask if somebody is coming in, usually not because they themselves say, oh, I have a gaming addiction, uh, but because somebody else has said that. So ask them to begin to record. Step, Start the top stopwatch on your phone. And begin to record, when did you start, when did you stop, how many times, how many versions of the game, however, um, and and just begin to get that sense of really what's the truth about this. This is often a way that for some people, just in doing that, they step back and go, wow, that is a lot of time. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of effort. This is a lot of money, whatever way you can quantify it. So that's often a, a real good first step is just let's just track it. Let's just see what's really going on and and come back and tell me about that. Often eye-opening. So I'm sitting here thinking that probably most of them could simply say, oh, I can just pull it up on here and just show you the data. <laughs> right, probably. Which I think would be pretty interesting to if you ask them to just go ahead and log in and print out how much time has actually been spent in the last week. That might be a little bit too con- confrontative to have them actually do that, that in right front there. of you. But the data is already there if they if they have the willingness to stop and look at stop it. Stop and look. Um, so that would be one thing. The next thing, just like with uh, some of our folks that may present wondering if they have a problem with alcohol is, well, what, what do you think would be reasonable to drink? We have with um, alcohol, what are low-risk drinking behaviors? How many drinks are considered low-risk? One standard drink for a woman, one standard drink for anybody, male or female, over 65, or two standard drinks a day for a male. And we have to talk about what standard drink is, but um, we ask them, can, can you live with that? Why don't you go this next week and come back and tell me how you did trying to just maintain that reasonable level. And you could discuss with them what would be a reasonable time amount of time for gaming given work, school, home responsibilities, social activities, other things they need to do and begin to see can they control it. With those two things, I would think we would really begin to ferret out who has 
just let things get a little bit out of control and who might have um, more mm-hmm. difficulty and might need more formal treatment. Because I think, in, in truth, the ones who are able to live up to that commitment right. are also going to discover how much else they can do with the time that they're suddenly going to have. And, and they will have the opportunity to start realizing, oh, there is a lot more life out there. Um, and the ones who are not are going to have more awareness of just how much they're using. And how hard it is to not. When they are they themselves saying, okay, I'm only going to play video games for two hours each day. And when they hit that two-hour mark, how hard it is to then close it up, put it away, excuse me, unplug, um, this begins to let them know they may have more of a problem. Often very formalized treatment may have to be um, indicated for people, and we have to define abstinence, and we have to find ways to support them through their recovery. So part of what's good about the World Health Organization making this real is that there's going to start to be programs available for them. Once upon a time, if somebody had gambling or sexual addiction or eating disorder, they had to deal with their alcoholism first before they could go in there. They had to at least have that rolled out. And so now there are treatment programs that if they don't have the chemical dependency, they can still get help, and that'll become an option for people with gaming issues. Absolutely. So we um, invite you all to go online take the test for yourself and we will see you next week on detailing addiction you're listening to america's web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com thank you for listening